Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. So yeah, we're here. Welcome Faith in the Fast Life podcast. We have the legend. I'll call him a legend because when I was a young man, I can remember seeing Vic Murphy in Ride Magazine, BMX Magazine. I mean, pretty much all of them. And I was, as most of our listeners know, I was a pretty pretty big into BMX when I was a young man. So it's an honor to sit across from Vic Murphy, the BMX legend, also an incredible man of God. And I'm as excited to hear what you have to say as I'm sure these listeners are. So Without further ado, Vic Murphy, welcome to Faith in the Fast Life. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So stoked to have you here. We know we, you and I were catching up a little bit earlier. We know that you just moved from San Diego to to outside of Nashville, Columbia area. Yep. So that's a new big change for you. A lot of years. And uh, I think you said you grew up in Anchorage. I grew up on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. Okay. And then when I was 17, my senior year of high school, I moved to San Diego. Okay. Dream so, come true there. Right. So and you then, were you into BMX and like riding bikes while you were in Alaska? Yeah. So like yeah, definitely. How was that? Like how was that scene like up there? Um, well, you know, that's kinda kinda part of my, my story. I guess the reason we're sitting here, we wanna bring you know, bring glory to God that he can yeah, he can uh restore the broken, you yep, know. Absolutely. And um for me, uh, I was born in Anchorage. And then I, I I grew up on the Kenai Peninsula, and so I didn't. I always loved. My dad was a motorhead kind of guy, okay. and um, so really into snowmobiling and really into motorcycles and always trying to. You know, I raced motorcycles when I was real young and always riding snowmobiles and stuff. But um, as a young little dude, BMX. I live, living in Alaska back in the day. I had no idea that it was even a thing, and it really wasn't even a thing. You know, it was just this little fringe sport. So when I was 12 years old, I think actually I was like 11. I was 11 years old, I think. I got strep throat, and so I was home from school, and my mom brought me to the drugstore to get some medicine or whatever we were doing down there. And I saw a BMX magazine in the drugstore as you know, being home from school. And it was like, that's it. It was like life changer, you know. Right. Uh, it, I saw it and just couldn't believe these dudes were jumping. And I had already been into that. The freedom, as you know, the freedom of, of bicycles, I call them freedom machines. It's for all of us, boys, girls, everyone in between, and old people. They're just a freedom machine. You get on yeah. it and you're just, you're free. Yep. And so I enjoyed it more than the motorsports. Because the motorsports, you're tied to it a little with the gas and the maintenance and the money and the travel. It just it takes a little more effort, yeah. especially as a kid. You really have to have support. But, um, yeah, so I, I saw that BMX magazine, man, and it was game on. So it's like 11 or 12 years old in the drugstore, grab the magazine. Had, do you have a bicycle at that point? Did you uh, yeah. have one? Yeah, yeah. We were just like whatever bicycles we could get. So I, I like I said, I didn't really know it was a, a thing, you know, that you could get quality bikes and whatever. Yep. Um, so we just, yeah, whatever bikes we get a hold of. And you, you'd get a hold of something decent every once in a while, some kind of mongoose or, you know, old school mongoose. They were like 10-pound frames back in the day, these big beefy ones we'd find. And... um yeah, just uh, 
just so when I saw the bike magazine, I in the magazines they would have advertisements for videos and even for other magazines and just different things. So I just started getting that stuff and um, and then it started snowballing pretty quick after that because it kind of opened up. You know, in the next couple of years, it kind of opened up the skateboard industry to me and the skate magazines. And, um, yeah, so it was just all out. So so all out, you're, you're diving in, you're in Alaska. What, I mean, did you create a scene there? Like, did you did you guys start yeah. riding, creating, you know, creating the, the drive there to, to what comes next? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I always tell the story, like, I had to go to counseling when I was in junior high because, I mean, I didn't just was not a school guy, you know. I would just be drawing pictures of bikes and skateboards on my math papers, and um, I, I, the counselor. It was, I was in eighth grade, and the counselor a whole semester. I had to come out and just talk with the, the counselor because I. She's like, "What are you gonna do with your life?" And I'm like, "I'm gonna ride the bike." And they're like, "You can't do that." I'm like, "Yes, I can." You know, I was just. Just just action sports on the brain. And my mom, my parents were divorced when I was young. And I think that's that's like a tragedy that we deal with across the globe is yeah. a fatherless nation, a fatherless generations, you know. And it, it probably started back in, you know, more so in our country, probably like in my generation, you know, just like that back in the, in the 70s, 80s, it, it became more um, not as much shame attached to divorce. And it used to be like, hey, you stick with your wife no matter how dumb she was or how dumb the husband was. It was just a, there was a shame factor in the culture. Yeah. And then it, you know, when it started to, to fade, now it's like, you know, divorce is not a thing at all. No, um, even it's within, like normal. Like it's, yeah. it's the norm now. Yeah. So how old were you when your parents divorced? There, I was about eight. Okay. Yeah. But I think it was pretty rocky from that, you know, even, even before that. But, you know, you're a kid, you don't know. Yeah. But yeah, when they divorced and I lived with my mom and, and I have a little sister and, and she, uh, you know, she raised us. And so not having a father in your life, especially one, um, my dad would try, he was, he, he would try it, you know, because I think he was obligated having a child, like you have to, oh, I got to give it some effort. So he would, he would try and bring me ride motorcycles or snowmobiling and, you know, he would try, but it was all about him. So I didn't have a, like, I have three kids now. And I mean, I wake up and I'm hugging them. I'm kissing them. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel to them. I mean, I'm there for every need they have. Right. And, and able to lead them. And there's no greater privilege, honor, or purpose that you could have, you know, beyond that, um, that family structure. So it's kind of hard for me even now to understand how I, how, how my dad, wasn't like that, but it's just selfishness and sin. And the older I get, I understand it as far as, you know, uh, sin destroys you. Right. And at some point you realize that, that he's human too, right? And we're yeah, all human. And absolutely. Gets us. So, so they divorced at eight years old. You found BMX after that When yep. How about finding the Lord? Like, did your mom take you to church? Did you guys do those kind of things? Or what's that you know, like? My, uh, my whole family was from Texas. And uh -huh. so if you're from Texas, you're a Christian. <laughs> it's written in the bylaws. Yeah, I think. it's just kind of the way it is. So it was funny because we were Christian, and so we would dabble in church here and there, but we didn't have a family culture of you know going to church or anything like that. It was kind of assumed, and I think that's a trap. Is we we assume what we know, our children know. Um, I do that all the time. I just mm -hmm. I'll be studying, I'll be learning, but I don't pass that information on well, even to my wife. 
And it's something we have to all be careful is like whatever we're learning, you can't assume your kids know that. And I think it was assumed, that, oh, yeah, I, I know about Jesus, but I did not have a clue. Um, but one time I was eight years old. It was I think it was eight, eight, nine, right in there. And I went to visit my grandma. She lived in Anchorage, so I'm uh, I'm uh, three hours away where we live. So I didn't see my grandma a lot. And you know the evangelist Billy Graham. Um, I, I call my grandma Billy Grandma because <laughs> she was just her whole life. She's got she had an incredible testimony. Saved in her 30s, just went down the aisle. And my granddad, when she died, my granddad said, I watched her go down the aisle and she never turned back. And that's, she was full throttle. You want to talk about fast life ministry? Boom, she was nonstop. And uh, so I went to visit her and we, uh, I always tell the story, we're, we're driving and, you know, grandma has to have this giant Buick, right? So she's got this giant car with the velvet seats and the old school, like chrome locks. And we're cruising down the road and it's icy. And uh, she sees this crazy looking hitchhiker on the side of the road, you know, he's this guy all camoed out. And, nah. and as a kid, you know, you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers. Well, Grandma sees this guy and she just rolls over to pick this guy up, tells me to get in the back seat, and I'm going, We're dead. You know, <laughs> grandma's picking this guy up. Guy gets in and and she pulls out, like lock the door, ka-chunk, and and she looks over and says, Do you know the Lord? And this guy is just like, get me out of this car. You could just tell he was scared. He did not want to be in there. And I'm thinking, what I learned was the hitchhikers are scary. And now what I'm seeing is Granny's got power, you know. You just, uh, there was something fishy with her interaction with this guy. Uh, so that was my first glimpse at Granny's evangelistic power. She just was relentless. So we get back to her house, drop the guy off, thankfully, and I'm digging through her purse. So she's in the other room making lunch or something. And I'm like trying to get some gum or something out of her purse. And she comes in and catches me. And I, uh, you know, I try and blame it on my cousin who is not even in the house. You know, I'm like, that wasn't me. What are you doing? I'm, just, I'm like, I don't know. So she just, I saw her do this with kids after, you know, as an adult. She just saw the opportunity to try and break the gospel off to me in a way that was relevant to my situation. It was basically like, look, you're a lawbreaker. Like, you need a savior. And the way she did it was, it was harsh because she sat me down on her stairs and she said, your heart is cursed with sin. Um, and, you know, you were stealing out of my purse. You were lying to me about it. She was just trying to help me understand my need for a savior. And uh, it kind of went over my head. Obviously, I'm a little kid, but I, it did scare me because I was like, man, I got a problem with my heart. And then she pointed to this big painting of Jesus in her living room. He's all bloody up on her on this painting. I always talk about this painting. She had like a gold picture frame around it and it had lights on it. And it's like Jesus all bloody there. I'm like, what kind of sicko has that in their living room, you know? But um, she said, Jesus, he's your only hope. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but Jesus is my hope. So, uh, so she leads me in a prayer, you know, this typical sinner's prayer type thing. And I don't remember what she said, but I remembered um, Jesus make my heart white as snow. So that was like the thing that stuck in my head. And you know about snow. Uh, you, you, you go to bed and it's kind of muddy and dirty out. 
cars are dirty and then it snows all night and you wake up and it's just beautiful white everything's gone you can't see anything can't see the dirt anymore so in my little mind i thought that's how god was uh very works-based gospel like you you sin or and you do bad and then you go like into the confessional booth and say forgive me make my heart white as snow amen i'm good and now i can go and just do what i please and just was until it, was your grandmother catholic no Okay. No, but that's the tendency. Curious. But that, I think that's a tendency for for a lot of Christians. Like we're very confessional. Like right. we really, you know, we use that scripture: "If you confess your sins, um, He is faithful and just to forgive them." If we forget about the part of repenting of our sins. Right. Well, trying not to do that again. Yeah. yeah, but it's not even so much that. It's like even looking at that scripture. It's like this posture of confession. You know, if we had to confess every one of our sins, like Martin Luther talked about, he lived that out. He would go out in the confessional booth, confess them all, walk out, and then turn around and walk right back in. He's like, oh, since I left one second ago, I was thinking of this. I'm proud of myself. And I think, yeah, anyway, that's another subject. But we definitely we definitely are a works-based church in general. We really do think we we just want to. That's how human nature is. Right. And I was talking. I was talking with my kids the other day about that. Just uh, you know, if you if if heaven had a door, if there was a door to heaven, the only person that could open it would have to be sinless. So we would be standing at that door, unable to open it ever. We couldn't even touch it. Yep. And 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 when Jesus comes, he can open that door, and he lets us in. Uh, it's no merit. No confession, no repentance, nothing that we can do on our own can open that door. It's yeah. Jesus. It has you know? to be Jesus. The only way to the Father is through yeah. the Son, right? So. And it's it's just something we have to hear every day because we'll always slip back to my standing with God is based on my performance. And my standing with God is based on Jesus' performance. That's yeah. good news. Yeah, that is good for every one of us. Yeah. So tell me more like with your grandma. So I, I I have like this total mental image already. I remember <laughs> those locks and I hope some other people do, but when you would hit this chrome lock up and down, like, <laughs> you'd literally hear it go thunk, thunk. Uh, yeah. like Legit. That's, so like I see this hitchhiker getting in the in the car and he's trying to unlock it and I could see your grandma going thunk, <laughs> thunk. Like it's like a bad horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like he can't get out of the car, but she's just witnessing to him and that's that's incredible. So that's you hilarious. painted an incredible picture. Like I, I could literally see the yeah. picture on the wall. So hope someday you send me that picture. Yeah. But And so, no joke, that's how that's how she was. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. Did so she told you that let 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 him wash your heart white as snow. Right, and, right. And that's what stuck with you. But is that the point where you found the Lord, or you just kind no. of held on to that over the years? No, so what happened was, you know, go back, and and especially back in the 80s, 90s, the, the, um, I was more interested in the skateboarding scene uh, than the BMX scene. The BMX scene, especially back in, in the day, was still hanging on to the motocross thing. Yeah. And uh, just as I got more and more into, because I'm more of a marketer, like I love marketing. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, it's almost like fantasy stuff. And that's what a lot of action sports is. You're, you're building a lifestyle um, through your mental picture that you as a, you know, person have. And so once I saw how much better the skateboarding marketing and how purposeful they were in it, like BMX was hard to swallow 
um, as far as the the magazines, the content that they were putting out. You could just tell it wasn't it wasn't ran by people who were doing it. It was ran by these companies, and it was. And um, so I, th- you know, as I went down that road, um, and as you become a teenager. Obviously, up up in Alaska as well, very a lot of drugs and alcohol, you know, so you know, going on up there. Those winters are long, and it gets wild. And so, yeah, a lot of my friends started getting into drugs and alcohol, and I, I think I was one of the last ones who did because I was so, I just wanted to ride, wanted to do stuff. I didn't really want to sit around and, and smoke and do whatever, party all the time. But you know, eventually it caught up, and it's like couldn't help it, and started kind of going down that road as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just really into this, started really getting into skateboarding, but I always loved bikes and just got real crazy. Uh, if I would have been in, in California when I was 15, uh, I just could have really killed it uh, because yeah. I was just going crazy 15 at that age right there. But then skateboarding started becoming something I was more interested in. Um, so yeah, just farther and farther away. Uh, I mean, I was never with the Lord at all, so I can't say I was away from the Lord. Uh, right. You know, the Bible, Jesus said there's two ways. There's one, the big wide road that leads to death. Yeah. And many are on that road, and I was definitely on that road. No qualms about it. Me too. Um, and then there's, he said there's a narrow road that leads to life, and I had no interest in that whatsoever. But we would do some crazy stuff. We would get wild and break a lot of laws and do a lot of wild stuff. And when it got real bad, I some nights when I would remember, I would sit down on my bed and go, Jesus, that was a doozy. Make my heart white as snow. Amen. And then I'd feel good about it, like I had made my peace with God. So that was my religion. It was more just uh, you know, soap on the rope kind of religion. Jesus will clean you up, and you're good to go. So, um, so up until this point, so eight years old through 11, you're getting into your teen years. You're starting to do drugs, but you're, you're in Alaska. And you're saying you're basically doing more skateboarding than BMX at that point. Yeah. So were you a pretty, I mean, I didn't even realize you were a skateboarder. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was, I was a decent skateboarder. Okay. Yeah, I was decent. So, but, so where did the, where did the bike side of things come in? Like did that, when did that really hit? Well, what happened was, cause I was a good bike rider and I always rode, um, but you know, got more into skating. And, and the thing that happened, if you look at, um, if you look at BMX, well, I'll, 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 I'll I'll push it forward on how I how I got to how I got to San Diego. So my eleven, a lot of fighting going on, a lot of just punk rock kind of stuff going on, and just having a great time. Like I had a, I have very good memories. I don't have this down and out story. I really don't have a down and out story ever. Like I've had some good depression bouts with certain situations and things, but I'm not a. I'm not a guy that has a story where I'm like, I wake up and miserable every day or go to bed miserable. I was always you're living. Know, I was living the living dream. The fast life. Just every day, just uh, partying, having a great time with my buddies. And we had a great time. And so um, my 11th grade year, the, the last semester of 11th grade um, in Alaska, you don't have a lot of clear blue sky days. And so I'm at school. And uh, it's in the spring, and it's blue skies. And there was a road behind our high school that had just gotten paved. It was pretty good, my, a couple miles, this brand-new paved road, sidewalks. And I had my skateboard at school, 
And I'm sitting there in the school and I'm looking out at the sun and I'm like, there is no reason for me to be in this place. Like I had a, I had a big mohawk, you know, and I got earrings and all I do is get heat every day and dudes wanting to fight me because the way I looked and just not getting it. You know, I'm just, I'm in a place that was out of context for the type of lifestyle I wanted to live. And I wasn't trying to offend anybody. I wasn't, I was just trying to do my thing. And so, uh, I'm just at this school, even the teachers were giving me grief, you know, just no respect whatsoever. And, and I get it, but it's unfortunate yeah. that it was like that. But I just, I looked out and I'm like, I'm done here. And I got on my skateboard and I just skated away. And I knew in my mind, I'm like, I am never going back there. I just was skating down the road, sunny skies going, I'm never going back. And um, so I went to work at the, the canneries. You know, so the, the fish canneries at that time were just hopping. And so a lot of college kids would come up from, from the States and work up there for the summer. And you could work nonstop. It was uh, everything after 40 hours, time and a half, but you didn't have to stop for your 40 hours. So you just stay up for 40 hours and it's time and a half. So you can imagine the drugs and the coffee that was going into that job. And so I worked all the seasons. You got halibut and herring and salmon. And, and uh, just getting as much money as I could. And I don't know this story. And I keep saying I got to ask. But my mom and my uncle must have conspired somehow. Because my uncle had moved to San Diego for a job. And uh, I think they conspired. So this dude's not going back to school. So I, all he talks about is wanting to be in California. And I was ready to hitchhike out. I mean, that was my thing. I'm going to work these canneries. I'm gonna get, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to California. So I was, there was nothing going to stop me from doing it. And they were getting stressed about it. So they made a deal and, and my uncle called and he said, hey, if you'll stay in school, you can move down here and live with me. And my mom was like, you're out. So I, that was my ticket right there. So I uh, came down to San Diego and this is the summer before my senior year of high school. And uh, it did not disappoint. <laughs> I mean, I, we drove down and... It was a drought that year, and so it was six months. There was not a cloud in the sky, and, I mean, it was paradise. For me, I was like, this is paradise. Well, because you're used to constant weather. That's all it ever is. Yeah. Weather. You're lucky if you see the sun kind of stuff. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm in San Diego and skating, and it was just paradise for skating at that time. There was these jams, and all these, all of these Southern California pros what, would show up. What year is this? This is like uh, 87, 87. So this is like the glory days of skating. Yeah. Like this is Christian Hosoy on his yeah. game. This is like, I mean, Mark Gonzalez, not as Coppice, all the Z-Boy stuff. Is, the the Z-Boys have kind of morphed into this thing. And it did not disappoint. I mean, you can't find anything like yeah. what was happening in Southern California in that uh, nowadays. We'd, we'd have these jams that'd be two to 300 people in a parking lot just it was just nuts and you'd have pros rolling up and just blowing your mind and a lot of punk rock stuff going on it was just super fun and so i'm here skateboarding and i'm thinking in my mind i'm going to be a pro skater so i'm just working towards it you know and i made a lot of good friends and going i'm gonna skate and and you know that's the cool thing that i like about action sports is you're not pushed by a team it's you yeah. I mean, it can be you alone in a parking lot. And as far as you can go, that's how you get, how, how far you can go. So I'm just skating, having a good time, thinking, oh, this is what I'll do. 
And then I'm in a parking lot of one of these jams and I'm, I'm talking to a BMX guy. He's a flatland guy, really good. And I'm just talking to him about bikes and whatever. And this four, four by four Toyota truck drives by and he goes, Oh, you know who that is? And I'm like, no. And he's like, that's Dave Volker and Brian Blather. And if you know who those guys are, especially back in those days, and even now, I mean, those are the top guys. I mean, those are, Brian Blyther was just the man for, for decades. And I see these guys driving by in this truck. And, and I just, my brain went, what in the world am I doing? Like, I don't even have a bike. Like, this is what I spent years dreaming about, like 24-7. Like, I would be in my garage all winter, just trick, 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 just working on tricks. And we'd be building jumps in the snow. I mean, we're riding bikes for years. And then here I am with no, I don't even own a bike, you know. And so uh, I saw those guys drive by. Within a couple of days, I had a bike. And just right after that, uh, the first the first street contest that was ever held was right across the road from that spot. And uh, so it was probably, I don't know, five months after that. So it was, I think it was February of 80. I want to say it's February of 88, somewhere in there. But uh, I got first place in the uh, expert class. And then within months, I got um, top five in the pro class and just kind of went from there. So uh, so that's kind of how I got, that's how I got to San Diego. And that's kind of the path I went on. And I became, right out of high school, I started running heavy equipment. And so I got in the, in the operating engineers union and I got, I went to work for a company that's out of, that was out of Denver. And so I would work like four or five months. We were doing land reclamation, like doing bridge stuff and, you know, building roads across swamps and things like that. So we're traveling all over the country and work like four or five months at a time and then come home. But I'm a list making max dollar. And so, and I have nothing like all I got is a guitar, a skateboard and a bicycle basically. And so all the money was able to go into when we had our months off, party, ride, go to contest, just get wild. So I was a self-sponsored BMX pro, you know. Right. So I had sponsors back then. You know, you got Vision and um, Vision uh, Streetwear. Yeah, and yes. like Hammer was a big one back then, and uh, just kind of got into some of the big, big sponsorship stuff. But because of the skateboarding thing, I just almost despised it like it was very quickly i just was like i can't stomach this stuff like i don't want to support any of these companies like i don't like them i've never liked them and now there was this pull to kind of i'm doing really well in bmx and there's this pull to kind of start supporting them or be sponsored by them and i'm like i'm not being sponsored by you guys i don't even care what you give me and i that's one of the benefits of of not relying upon sponsors for money is you can be a stinker, you know? And so I'm like, I ain't touching you guys' stuff. And it just got worse. As time went on, I got more rebellious towards it. And so then we started our own deal. Like I started Dirt Bros um, bike, bike Company. And that was a whole fiasco too. Like we bought frames and put our own stickers on them and sold them for cheap and, and just kind of started this whole little underground rebellious movement at BMX and um, that's the greatest honor is to be able to, you know, be a part of that steering BMX away from these corporate was, overlords, yeah. you know. And for those that don't understand at that time, and that's probably 
a little before me, before I truly got into it. Right. Because um, I got into it in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look back to that, at that time, it was like, what, Hutch, Mongoose, yeah. Huffy even at mm-hmm. the time. But it was like these big corporations that they were. There was like these, right. I imagine, five or six big companies that basically had the control. And then it, so you kind of helped that movement to switch it from those five companies to a bunch of little independent brands like yeah, definitely. came around standard came around yeah. all these different things. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had those guys, they were, you know, it was like you watch that movie rad 35 and yeah. 35th anniversary right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's coming. It's coming back to theater. Go see it, I'm kids. Pumped. <laughs> yeah, right. But then there's the next movement right there that was like really ran by GT. You know, GT was like the powerhouse of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then Haro, you know, they yeah. Bob Haro had sold Haro out. And so Haro was always there. And, and you had Redline was the largest distribution company, that, you know, through the whole decade of the 90s. Yeah. Uh, they're still big. But, um, yeah, so I, I want to think, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I think nobody's denying that we definitely had a big part of it. Yeah. And it was all it was all marketing. I mean, yeah. it was just straight. I, I saw how the marketing worked, and I used it to my advantage. Right. And, so you kind of um, picked up the, some of the marketing from the skateboard uh-huh. industry and yep. and kind of stamped it into, right. into and, the BMX world. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we got, we were crazy. We were going crazy. And I think that's when you become an adult and you are rebellious towards the Lord. And you have a worldview that is self-centered and... You know, that's the, you know, you hear a lot of talk about unity in the world and we're going to unite. You can't unite with people who have different worldviews. There is no unity when your worldviews are so opposing. Um, and, and so here I am on that broad road that leads to death and very selfish, not in a destructive way to other people, but I just want to do what I want to do and, and I'm ride and do all that. No problem. And so as I became a pro and became known and had a lot of relationships within the action sports world, um, we would sit around at night partying and stuff. And we'd, we'd have our religious talks, you know, where we'd be all, hey, well, I think God is everywhere. And I was a monkey and I shaved and I'm a man and all these different ideas. But I always say it was like an Oprah show. You know, a lot of people talking, but nobody knows what they're talking about. <laughs> and, and that's how we were. We were just foolish um, pretty much about, the gospel and what the Bible actually teaches. And most people are. Most people just, they hear what they want to hear and they hold on to it. And that's what I did. Because at that point I was pretty much, yeah, evolution makes sense to me. It makes no sense. But I'd never stopped and thought about it. No, yeah, the Bible contradicts itself. I heard that once. Um, So you hold on, yeah, you hold on to that. Just whatever little things you have. So we were doing that. So, um Went to went to uh, went to work up in Oregon, in Coos Bay, Oregon, and we were doing a job up there. And I'm by myself, and that was the problem with that job. As a young dude, you're making a lot of money. You're working six twelves. You have no time to spend the money, so it's just checks piling up on the on the desk there. And you know, I come home, and that's when you do whatever. But it was boring. As a young guy, you're working that much. It's just like, dude, what am I doing with my life? You know. But I went down to the. Uh, I went down to the grocery store, and there was a book at the checkout that was a, it was a book about the last days. It was like a Christian book about, you know, last days and Jesus coming back and stuff like that. But it had a dragon on the cover with, like, fire coming out of its mouth. And it just looked 
cool. Like at the time, I'm like that dragon looks sweet. This book is cool, you know. So my idea was, oh, I'll buy this book and I'll bring it home, you know, back to my hotel and I'll be able to read it. And then when we argue about religion, I'm going to have some ammo, like to be able to argue against God and be like, oh, this is so stupid because look at this. I read this book. How old are you at this point? I'm 22. Okay. Or I'm right. I'm either I'm like right, right, almost 22. And so, um, yeah, so I come back to my hotel and the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is a gift from God and God saves. And it says, Jesus said, a man must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So if you're not born again, which is a spiritual thing, it's not a, I mean, it's, it's definitely you are dead in your sin and then you're born again spiritually. And I experienced that. It's just uh, I'm, I'm happy that I experienced it the way I, I did. Because like, if you know the story of Paul in the Bible, he's this mass persecutor of the church. You know, murderer, put him in jail, hates God or hates Jesus, thinks he loves God, just against the church. Yep. And he's, right, he's going to, to persecute him and Jesus says, you're done. Like, you're done. And uh, knocks him down, makes him blind. And he says, Lord, what must I do? You know, he's done. And I had that experience. I wasn't looking for God. I was making money. I was riding. I, I was just, I had sweet motorcycles and doing car stuff. I was just happy as could be. And I opened that, that book up. And the guy who wrote it, he, he preached the gospel in the first couple pages. He didn't go right into like, oh, it's the last days or whatever. He, he more went into, this is the reality of life, is that God made us. We've rebelled against him. We deserve death, but Jesus came, took the death that we deserve on the cross, conquered it, and will give you life. And I read it, and it, it just clicked. Because, and, it, and every single thing from right from my grandma, like I was right back sitting there with my grandma. As a 22 years old, I'm just like in my brain going, that's what she's trying to tell me. And every person, every sign, you know, you go to the rock concerts, a Slayer concert, and they'd be holding up like, you're going to go to hell, these signs. And I always thought, these people, everyone's mocking them and yelling at them. And I would too. I'd be like, ah. But I always had respect for them. I was like, they're willing to stand out here with all these metal heads and hold up this sign like, that's pretty punk rock. I always thought, like, man, they're, like, more punk rock than all right. these guys. But it never stuck. But every little thing that God put in my life along the way just clicked. And I went, oh, you were trying to, you were trying to show me. And this is it. This is the culmination of all that. He saved me. And it was nothing, no prayer. It was just, I'm saved. I mean, I grabbed the Bible. Thank God for the Gideons. It was in that hotel. I got the Bible and I read through John and I'm just like reading and tripping that night. So the next morning, this is what I still think about and I just can't. It's it's just so cool. Next morning, we wake up at like five, get ready for work. We have to be on the job at six. So it's real early. The sun's coming up. It's all pretty in Oregon. You know, the trees are just peeking out in the fall. And... um, I go out the door and everything in the world's different. Like I'm looking around going, this thing is God's. Like this is God's. He made it. 
and and he is in control of all this. And even just, I just remember driving, I'm driving with my buddy and we're in the truck just cruising down the road and I'm just tripping. I'm just looking around going, this, this is a brand new life. Like I see the kingdom of God. Like he's in control, he won and it's done. And now we're here to live for him. And it was just a trip. It's just still a trip when I think, when I look back and, um, and that is the one thing that doesn't mean your life's pretty. <laughs> Because I didn't know what it means to be a good Christian or anything like that. But I knew one thing for sure from that point forward, and that is Jesus is a king. Like That is what I knew. So, it, you know, it put me on this whole nother worldview. So I went from this road that leads to death to a narrow road that leads to life. And it says, Jesus said, few find it. And if you're on that road, man, praise, praise him because it is glorious um, just to be able to see life through the lens of that born again experience. Right. And um, so that kind of put me, you know, in a different worldview, even with BMX. Yeah. So how does that, how does that come back together then? So like you're, you're working in Oregon now. I mean, incredible story. I mean, just to be in a hotel room, like I, I, I giggle because you know, that, that book with the dragon, like none of that was my chance. No, you know, that was, that was all orchestrated. Mm-hmm. You know, the artwork on the front of that book was orchestrated by God to Absolutely. reach people like you, set on a shelf. All of it was part of the plan, and I just love that you opened that up and went, oh. That's a trip. I get it. Like, that's, I mean, I get goosebumps just, just yeah. listening to you tell it right now. That's so cool. But how did you now take that back into this industry where you were the rebel? Because that's a yeah. lot, you know, you and I mm-hmm. spoke before this. It's a lot what Fast Life's about, right? Yeah. Like, I came out of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I went down that wide path. I ended up in addiction, got right a couple of times, became a firefighter when I had a child. When things went bad, I didn't have the Lord, went right back down the wrong way and ended up becoming a full-blown cocaine addict, full-blown alcoholic, the whole nine. And now I'm just now going back. But you've been doing ministry for a long time. Yeah. Did that start <clears throat> then? How did, you, how did you bring that back? How did you bring well, your newfound Savior in? Well, one of my good friends, um, he actually, he's a video guy for the Way of the Master with um, Ray Comfort's ministry. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but his name's Eddie Roman. And he was the, probably the, he was the premier video guy for BMX through 80s, 90s, into the 2000s for sure. And um, I mean, he, all the big videos, uh, he was main guy for GT. He did the Matt Hoffman stuff. Um yeah, the biggest videos of the time for a long time, he was the guy. And so uh, him and I were good friends, and he grew up Catholic. And him and I went to a contest right after this. So I came home, and I'm fired up for Jesus, you know. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like, Jesus! And everybody's looking at me like, oh, man, he smoked too much today. And uh, we went, went to a contest, and the whole time I'm talking to my buddy Eddie about Jesus, and I'm all fired up. Well, he had already started going to this church that was kind of like this youth movement church in San Diego. And so he's kind of going, this dude, what? He's tripping. And he ends up, we go home. He invites me to this church. I watch him go down in an altar call. And God had already started moving in his life. But it was almost, I just got to kind of see that culmination of it. And so the next video that he made, it's called Ride On. And it was one of the biggest videos of all time for BMX. And the whole thing has got like 
Christian heavy metal in it. And I have a segment where I talk about Jesus in it. So we didn't have a clue what we're doing. Like, I don't even like to listen to it or see it now because I'm like, oh. (laughs) But we went for it. And I never want to discourage people from going for it, even though it can be embarrassing. But we were going for it. We're like, Jesus, man, Jesus, trying to tell everyone. And so the whole industry heard it. The whole industry knew. And um, I kind of got out of BMX and went into the car industry um, and and pretty much spent, uh, well, I was in the automotive industry for a long time after that, but kind of still doing bikes, but I just got, I just lost interest in the sport aspect. Um, So I got into the sport of custom street rods and things like that. That was like my new addiction. Um, So got into doing that, but still riding and getting some pictures in the magazine here and there. Photographers are coming. We do a little bit of stuff through the 90s. Um, And this is what I feel like is the unique thing about what I was able to do, what God kind of gave me was, I don't know if you know, but like in, I think it was 93, this was right after I was, uh, you know, I was started following the Lord. Um, I got this picture in the magazine where I'm doing a tabletop off a curb and that picture just kind of blew up. I mean, now it just keeps kind of getting to be this big thing, right? I saw it was funny that you, you bring it up. I, I can almost picture it, but then I remember you posted on Instagrams, but that wasn't that you were coming out of like a culvert the other day in that when you posted the other day. Yeah, I, I think remember. I do remember. Oh, yeah, picture. that's right. Yeah, so it's like it's a big deal. Like you're like five foot up, yeah. laid f- perfectly flat. Yeah. So it's like it was a big deal. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it became bigger as the internet came out. Because it was just one of those pictures. It wasn't, I mean, I'm doing a decent trick, but it's more like the way it was taken. There's a guy in the front. It looks like we're riding down the road. And it's timeless. Like, I'm wearing Converse. You can't really tell when it was taken. It's just this picture that's just the gift that keeps on giving in BMX. And it's just, even for me, it's just inspirational. I go, that's BMX to me. And it's a BMX to a lot of people. Yeah. It's like we get on our bikes. It's a freedom machine. And that's what it was. And so, but the unique part with me is as I hit my late 20s, it was like late 20s there, we're doing, we had a a shop, me and my best friend, we had a shop, we had a paint booth and everything. We're doing all these street rod cars, just crazy stuff. And there was a, a manufacturing company doing sprockets and stuff for a lot of the big companies. It was in the same industrial park. And so we were friends with the guys. And then one day we're like, man, I wonder if we should do some dirt bro stuff. Like, man, we'll do some stems and sprockets and make some shirts. People will be around here will be stoked on it. I had no idea, like, how big of an impact we had made. I mean, as soon as we made them, they were gone. I mean, we could not make enough. And I was just, we were just totally shocked by it. Um, so it just started rolling. It was almost like I was forced back into BMX. So I'm spending all my time on cars. I mean, we're like car junkies going to all these street rod events and painting just nonstop, sleeping under the cars at shows and doing all the whole thing. And it's just like kind of pushed me right back into the BMX industry. And um, I got way like not even comparable, you know, coverage and covers and just did way better in my late 20s early 30s than I did in my late teens early 20s which is opposite of most people right and so um and I had a great time because I had a little more um, head on my shoulders as far as the way it worked so I enjoyed myself more 
the pressure wasn't there like it is when you're a kid. You're like, I had the tiger, and I was more enjoying the ride as, as an older dude. So, um, yeah, so this whole decade, I'm a Christian. I'm making mistake after mistake, still being a moron, but I'm, I'm a believer. And I, I always, I look at a lot of people's lives and I go, you are a believer, but you haven't woken up and said, I'm going to live my life for him. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you are not secure because we are. But God has a plan if we'll just let him, you know, just follow him. And, um, yeah, so it was like, I was like, uh, I guess I was 32 and we were having this big jam at our house and it was so out of character. We had these big jumps and stuff. It was Saturday night. Tons of people were there and I'm like, I'm I'm just going to go to church. And it was just like, why am I leaving? Like, this is prime. We're having a great time here. And our company was doing really good at the time. And, uh, so yeah, I just, I went to church by myself and it was one of those times, you know, the pastor speaking and he's going, are you living for yourself? Are you like not doing what God wants you to do? Yeah, you're saved, but you're still holding on to your life. And Jesus said that, right? He says, if you hold on to this life, you're going to lose it. But if you, you know, if you give me your life, you'll find it. And he's just speaking right to me is what it felt like. And I'm like, yes, that's me. And so they have the school of evangelism. He's like, you know, you need to sign up for it. He's not talking to me, but that's the way it felt. Right. And so I went right outside and I signed up for that school of evangelism thing they had going. And that was the game changer. And just a lot of things happened after that to where, uh, yeah, I just, because I had these big plans, these big tour plans, and it was all about just, you know, fun stuff and cool marketing stuff, but just really meaningless. Um, just just about making money and bikes and whatever, just kind of just is a big wheel. And so um, that was kind of the change right there. That's when I met my wife and uh, um, we kind of went right into church ministry. Just, uh, you know, I did a lot of teaching and church plant stuff in the church and I didn't do it with action sports. It was, I just knew one thing I learned through my twenties is, is that I wasn't faithful so I would get involved, but then anything popped up that I thought was more important, I would just jump right off and, and just, you know, say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be involved in this anymore. I'm going to go do my thing. And so I knew that was my big challenge. So I, uh, I just committed, like, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to go. And even if it sucks, I'm not stopping. I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to serve his church because that's where the action is. As much as the church is jacked up and broken, and unfortunately there's people there because that's what the problem is, is people. It's full of humans. Yeah, but that's that's his bride, and that's what he, you know, we have to serve it. And so I'm like, I'm going to be faithful. So a lot of people in the church didn't even know I rode bikes or did any of that stuff. I'm just serving and teaching and doing different stuff. And um, so, yeah, then uh, a couple years went by, and I got invited to a NASCAR event. Um, do some action sports stuff like we're doing here today. And uh, I was able to share the gospel, and we saw a real big response at a NASCAR up in Fontana. And on the way home that night, I looked at my wife, and I'm like, why are we doing events where we're inviting people when NASCAR's got hundreds of thousands of people 32 weekends of the year? I'm like, why don't we just go to NASCAR and preach the gospel? And so I went back and talked to my pastor and I said, I don't know what's happening, but I think God's going to call us out into this ministry. And so that's where we met John Andrus 
And, um, you know, it was very, it was like six months later, we hit the road to do the NASCAR. So we, we did Talladega and Charlotte and we had this big motor home and uh, we had our ramps and we're just going for it. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. We'd set up the ramps, do stunts and preach Jesus, you know? Yeah. And um, so that was in 06 and it just kind of morphed into a lot of mission stuff. So we've been to 45 countries since then and um, 100 plus international trips though because we've been to a lot of countries you know a lot of times but uh yeah so that's kind of how it all happens so the bmx thing it's just kind of like being a figure in the bmx industry is an honor to me and it's a dream that i had as a kid i'm still so stoked um but we've kind of found this other road that and it's like hashtag bmx on purpose is our thing right because like i would rather be out bunny hopping kids and saying, man, there is a heavenly father, and you, that's a father that will never leave you. He will always be there for you and he'll every day, and he will lead you through this life. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather do that a million times over than spend my life trying to get glory for my tricks or my company or, or anything like that. So, so it's a few episodes back, Mike Sweeney is a professional wakeboarder, and uh, he was telling a story about um, how somebody spoke into him and said that, uh, wakeboarding is his dance. Well, BMX is your dance. You tried to get away from it, but that's you, you can actually use that to glorify yeah. God, and you are. And that's yeah. so cool. Like, that's your dance. He gave you that gift. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you were in your younger years, you were using it in a perverted way. Mm. But now you're doing it for the Lord, and it's, it's awesome yeah. to see. We're so stoked to have you guys here. Uh, for the listeners, we have a, a big rail jam, and the stunt dudes are here. That's why we're sitting here recording. We got Vic in town for multi-purpose, so there'll be some videos coming out soon for all this stuff. But man, it's it's awesome having you here. So, it, kind of as we near the end of this, what's one thing that you want to leave with the listeners today? Whether they're believers, non-believers, yeah, you know, lukewarm, maybe they're maybe they're not fully committed, maybe they're still living for themselves. What do you what do you yeah. want to leave with them? You know, it's so tough. I I just my life, yeah. If you're listening to this and you you struggling, I mean, of course, with you as well and and your ministry and and for me, you look me up on Instagram or whatever at Vic Murphy. But I, I would want to sit with people and answer every single question. Some of the I, I respect people that that hate God because at least they have a stance. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I I don't like the wishy-washy gray areas i'm just not that kind of guy i would i have great friends that just completely reject christ and i actually i i respect that um but you know for christians and for the non-believer as well just to really you know try and understand what the real gospel is the biblical gospel jesus is the one the only one that can open that door um, he is the door. I mean, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You are not making it to heaven outside of me. And so he is that door. Um, we can't earn it. It's not about you being good. It's not about you cleaning up. Um, you can't. It's like we have already fallen short of that. We're already broken. We're already imperfect. And But Jesus did it all. There's no requirements for us. Now, our obedience to him and our desire to live for him it is a result of that, that, that born-again experience. It's a result. It's not a requirement. Yeah. 
And I think that's just the one thing I, I beat that into my own head every day. Rest in Christ. I mean, he's the savior. I can't say myself. It's yeah. he, he did it. He took the punishment I deserve. And it's hard for us to understand that, but we're saved. We're not saved from our sin. We're saved from the wrath of God. I mean, we are saved from God by God. Right. Like we deserve death. I mean, Ephesians 2, we were children of wrath. But he came and Jesus stood and took that wrath on himself. And um, just, I know just for me as a Christian and so many Christians I know, they just were struggling still with, are we good enough? Am I good enough? I hope I make it. You're not good enough. You never will be. And you ain't going to make it outside of Christ. Yep. He's good enough. He's going to make it. And so just that's, that's, that's the gospel to the non-believer. Just I know the gospel's been distorted um, by corrupt people, by anti-Jesus people and believers. It's been distorted. But the biblical gospel is Jesus. Come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy laden, hard life, obvious, we're sinners, we're rebellious, we're selfish, we're prideful. Um, come to Jesus confess it. Um, this is me, God. I can't do it. And he'll give you life. Yep. So that's, that's the message right there. It's Jesus period. That's it. He's enough. Else. He is it. He's enough. So you mentioned already at Vic Murphy on Instagram. Uh, how about, how about the ministry? Tell us more about the ministry. Yeah. Action sports outreach is our, our, our nonprofit name and stunt dudes is our sta stage name. It's kind of like, you know, Bigfoot. Sasquatch yeah. is the official thing, and you got Bigfoot. So, yeah, Stunt Dudes is our demo team, and Action Sports Outreach. We have a website, actionsportsoutreach.com. And, yeah, so we started a nonprofit um, just to – we raise support, and we do a lot of missions-type stuff, and and um, it's just a constant development of that and what we can do. And um, as especially these crazy times we're in – and we have to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who just don't have what we have, even they just don't. Yep. And so supporting them. And so we're doing a lot of stuff, just trying to do that better in the future. And yeah, just trying to share with people. Um, That's awesome. Man. Well, Vic, it's been absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, stoked to get to see you ride this afternoon and uh, go do some uh, street ministry here in Pueblo. Um so it's going to be great. We're so stoked for all of our listeners. You heard how to hit Vic. Maybe jump on there. Can you support your ministry through that? Yeah, Action Sports Outreach. Yeah, yeah Action Sports Outreach. Reach in to support them. Uh, keep Fast Life Ministries going, obviously, on all of the social channels, um, as well as our YouTube channel. And please, if this video reached you in any way, or this podcast reached you, whether you are watching it or hearing it, share it with your friends. There's somebody else that needs to hear it. You never know who needs to hear this story, and we can reach more people if you help. So God bless everybody. Have a great day.